Nobody told us to sit down. We don't know what we're doing. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Jeremiah 29, um, and we're talking about hope. We're doing this uh, Advent series, which we are excited about. And of course, if you don't know what Advent is, it is just basically the anticipation uh, leading up to the coming of Jesus. And so there's so much to this. And of course, we're going to read some from the Old Testament like they did uh, this morning as they, they lit the candle. And of course, there's four weeks of Advent. And so that's why we have four candles. Uh, and then the, the white candle in the middle represents Jesus. Uh, we had a little joke going on during uh, the week because we lost the white candle like four times. And so we're like hunting for Jesus um, in this church. Uh, but that's what the white candle represents. And so we're talking about those four weeks. And as we go through, we're going to have hope, uh, joy, peace, and love. And so we're going to talk about kind of what that means as it leads up to the birth of Christ. And so we really want to keep this at the forefront of our minds during this holiday season because so often we can get pulled to and fro and distracted uh, and all over the place. And we want to remember what the purpose is and what this really, really meant, of course, to these people because this was a dark time and they were really looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and how the kingdom of God would be on earth uh, as it is in heaven and it would transform uh, their lives. And so we get to experience so much of that, and so we're excited about that. And so that's why we're doing uh, the Advent series. And today, uh, the first day, we're talking about hope. Let's pray together. Father, we are excited about what you're going to do in our hearts and lives as we uh, dive into your truth. We want to recognize and grow in you this day. Just lead us in, in everything that you want for us, Lord. Uh, we want to be just part of this season, which is your season, uh, and we want to be able to keep our focus and our minds on you and what you're doing. Just ask that you would lead us, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a question, and the question is this. Have you ever went through a really tough situation or a tough time, but it, it honestly wasn't that hard because you knew the end? Now, I've had several of these things uh, happen in my life. Uh, the biggest ones I remember is wrestling season is typically during uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so during those times, you know, you got to cut weight. And it's very, very difficult to cut weight. But there's always this idea, and I always had it when I, was, uh, when I was young, that whatever they put out on Thanksgiving, whatever they put out on Christmas, I was going to eat it. I was going to eat it. And so I had to diet, and I had to make weight, and I was constantly trying to lose weight. But I always had it in my mind. I can do anything for 10 days. I can do anything for 10 days. At the end of this 10 days, I'm going to eat like a pig. And so that was kind of my mentality. And I knew there was a, an end, and I knew there was a day that I was going to be able to eat as much as, as I wanted to. And, of course, you know, we did stupid things. You know, there's turkey and all that stuff. But on that day, I would drive up to McDonald's and get a 20-piece chicken McNugget, you know, and that type of thing, uh, and eat that. There are other times. I went on several missions trips. I remember going to, to Haiti. We went to Europe. We went to the Indian reservations, and we went to a little island in the Caribbean called Haiti, just like the armpit of the earth. That's what... Uh, Haiti kind of is. It can be a, a really gross place. We would always go in the summer because I would typically take uh, youth kids with me on this missions trip. And so there was only one time that I didn't go in the summer. And there's a heat index of 115, 120 every single day. We're in the middle of the city of Port-au-Prince. And so there is no breeze. There is no air coming in. And so you're just hot. And not only that, but there's dust flying and dirt everywhere. And so it just sticks to your skin. And I remember that entire time thinking to myself, you know, I, I've only got to be here 10 days. I can do this. I can do anything. I can work hard. I can work my butt off for 10 days, but I'm just dirty. And every night I would go in and I would take a shower right before bed, thinking that I was going to be clean as I went to bed at night. But it did not take but 
five minutes after taking a shower where I was just soaked with sweat all over again and was just gross. And it felt like you could never, ever, ever get clean. And that's kind of what it's like before Jesus came. Like they're living this life where it's like they can just never, ever get clean because the Savior has not come yet. And so they are just anticipating. They're just excited. They're just looking forward to the fulfillment of all of these promises. And there are 414 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to the birth of Jesus. 414. That's how much they were looking forward to the Savior and to the Messiah coming. Is that was all they were talking about. That was all they were prophesying about. That was what everything was coming towards. And we get to celebrate it after the fact. And so we get every year, we get this hope and what it looks like for us to anticipate the birth of Jesus that has already happened. And I love the scripture in Luke 2, verse 10, where it talks about good news. The angel shows up and says, Fear not, for I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy for all people. That sentence was said 2,000 years ago, and it's still good news to this day. That he brings great news, good tidings of great joy for all people, for you, for me, for everyone, in the past, in the present, and in the future. The good news that the Messiah was born in a little town called Bethlehem. And so that's what Advent is really all about. And so we're going to talk about hope today and what that looked like then, what it looks like now, and hopefully, you know, what it looks like kind of in the future as well. Hope is commonly thought of, at least in our culture, as a wish. So when we talk about hope, we talk about it as, man, I hope I get to go to Captain D's after church today, you know? That's what the kids will say, right? Man, Dad, I hope we get to go out to lunch, and I've got bad news for them. We're going to go home and have sandwiches uh, after church today. But that's their hope. It's more like a wish. But that's not hope is in the scriptural hope. Hope is in the scriptural hope is a confident expectation what God has promised. And its strength is found in God's faithfulness. I love that quote right there. The biblical hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is found in His faithfulness. So it's this expectation, it's this hope, this idea that it's not, it's not a wish, it's a knowing that it's coming but not necessarily knowing when and, and having some things kind of up in the air, but it's a knowing that it is coming. The sun is going to rise tomorrow. That, that's, we have hope in that. It is a confident expectation that it is going to happen. I'm going to open my eyes in the morning and I'm going to put my pants on. Confident expectation that it is going to happen. It's not a wish. It's a confident expectation that it is going to happen. So we're going to look into... Jeremiah 29. We're going to look into the Old Testament before Jesus comes. We're going to talk kind of about what they were experiencing, what they were going through, and kind of how it relates to us still to this day. And Jeremiah, uh, these people, they were, they were sent off uh, into exile. The Babylonian Empire came in, a conquer took over, and so people were sent all over the place, and it was, it was, it was a rough time. As I was reading about this, I was reading that because they didn't want these people to rise up against them, the Babylonians would take anybody who had 
like skills, whether it was construction, whether it was like blacksmith, anything along those lines, and they would cut off their hands. So they had to learn to work without any hands, and that was so that it would hinder them from making mass amounts of, of weapons so that they could rise up against them. And so this was kind of the life that they were like. They would steal daughters and kids and, you know, make them as slaves and servants and use them for all. I mean, this is horrible. What I'm trying to get at is this was a horrible time. And so in this time, Jeremiah writes a letter because these people have these prophets that are rising up in, in the midst of their exile who are telling them certain things that are not true. So Jeremiah writes a letter, and as we know, we know this is true because it happens. So Jeremiah writes this letter and says, this is what is going to happen. And so then these people get to experience this through this letter. So they're going through a very, very tough time. Jeremiah writes a letter, and this is what it says, starting in verse 4. We're going to start by reading 4 through 7 here. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. All right? So this is how he starts this letter which is kind of interesting, right? And, and, and I'm a little shocked by this because if you think about it, he's trying to tell them what God is going to do in the future. And he's trying to give them a hope, which we will see here in just a minute. But he starts off by saying that you need to be content basically where you are, that you need to plant, that you need to pray for prosperity, that God doesn't want you just looking to the future. He wants you to be in the here and now, which I think is very, very valuable to us this day. Because contentment seems to be hard to find during the holiday season. And yes, Jesus is coming, and there's some awesome things, but, but people, don't miss the here and now. Okay, Enjoy it. Grow up in it. Raise your kids in it. And here's one of the things, guys, that we need to remember, adults that have kids at home, that if we are talking about the coming of Christ and, and what Christmas is all about because we're excited about it, that can bleed over into our kids, and they can be excited about it. And if we are just acting all humdrum about it, the holiday season, not taking it for what it is and not being serious about the joy and the hope that we have in it, they won't either. And so you have to learn to represent this. So he starts this off, which I think is interesting. He starts off by telling them at this point that they need to prosper where they are. And I think that's what God wants for all of us as well, learning to, to find the joy and the, and the good in what we have now. Even though it's a difficult time, pray for peace, pray for prosperity. Also, enjoy yourself, plant gardens and eat of those things. Take care of what you have right in front of you. And so he starts off with that, which I think is very interesting. And then he goes into to something that I believe is a little bit more difficult, starting in verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets, remember there were false prophets, and people telling them different things. Do not listen to the dreams um, that they encourage you to have. Verse 9. They are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, 
I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Ooh, 70 years. Now that has to feel like, that has to feel like a big deal. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we had a landscaper come. We, we were able to build a house um, a couple of years ago. Actually, about a year and a half ago, it was, it was finished. And, um, and, and our marriage survived that. I encourage you not to try and build a house if you don't have a great marriage. Uh, there are fights and arguments that arise that come up. But we had a landscaper come out, and we put together like a four-year plan for what we were going to do around our house. And in two years, yes, in two years, we were going to plant about 12 trees. And of course, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, in two years, I'm going to be 41. Trees take 30 years to grow. Like, I'm going to be like, oh man, look at these awesome trees, and then die. Like, what in the world? You know, like, this is, this is the way this works. And I'm thinking, if that's the way I feel about trees, how are these people feeling about Jesus, or about, not Jesus, because at this point, about this freedom that's coming in 70 years? Like, what a depressing letter to get right here. But here's what we know, right? It is through, and this is New Testament, it is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. That it's not in our timing, but it's in God's timing, right? And things rarely come when and where and how we want it. Isn't that true? Rarely. It's almost all something completely unexpected. And God answers our prayers in unexpected ways. Like we think, oh, this is going to be the answer, and then something shows up that's completely different, and we're like, wow, God came through for us. We weren't looking at it this way. We didn't expect it to be this way, but God came through for us. We typically rarely see it until much after the fact, but we can look back and go, man, God answered that prayer, and he did it in such a weird way, but he still did it. And, and we see that in the Bible. They expected Jesus to look, to act, and to do certain things, and it was completely different. Still fulfilled all the prophecies, but it just didn't look the way they expected it to. God, God does things in, in, in odd ways and odd times, and it doesn't look the way we want it to, always. Recently, a couple of days ago, actually it was a couple of weeks ago, James, um, our youngest, had a birthday, turned 11. Big deal. Youngest kid turns 11, so we've only got, what, seven years until they all... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> so he turns 11 years old. A couple of days before his birthday, he gets $5. And he wants to buy these V-Bucks for his Xbox. And I don't know this stuff, okay? I'm just telling you what they are. I, don't, I can't explain them because I don't know what they are necessarily. Um, I just always look up and see if they're bad. Are V-Bucks bad? Google says no, so we're going to go with this, okay? So I, he decides that he wants them. Now, I, I have to put in all of my information and pay for it and delete it because I no longer keep any of my stuff on accounts that James has access to because about eight months ago, he spent like $250 uh, without permission because he just kept hitting the buy button over and over and over again. We had it password protected. Guys, this is kids for you. I mean, today... They are just brilliant. We had it password protected, or so we thought, but James found a YouTube video that showed him how to buy stuff past those protections. Yeah, right. Okay, so I have to load it, and then I delete it every time. So it's two days before his birthday. He's got $5. I said, James, is this all you're going to want? Because you're going to probably get money in a couple of days, and I'm not doing this again for you. So if you want it this week... You need to wait a couple of days. 
He says, no, Dad, I'm not going to want it. I want it. I want this, and I want it now. You guys know where the story is going, right? I mean, this isn't like, this isn't suspenseful. Like, I'm not going to drop any bombs here that you don't understand. So he says, two days before his birthday, no, this is it. This is all I want. So on his birthday, he gets a little bit of cash, and guess what James asks for? Some more V-Bucks. I said, no, James, no, you're going to have to wait now because I told you before I'm not doing this twice. And so every day since then, he has asked me for V-Bucks. V-Bucks, not once, not twice, not three times, but like 12 times a day. Like this is what I get to wake up to every morning. Hey, Dad, are you going to get me V-Bucks today? James, if you don't get out of my bedroom, I swear you will never, ever, ever even know what V-Bucks are again. Get out. Get out now. But that's the way it is because it takes so much time. So anyways, after a week or whatever, I decided, you know, I'll do it for him. So I think it was yesterday or two days ago, we decided to get some more V-Bucks for him. But it just took that time. See, but here's the point, right? I feel like we so much expect God like an 11-year-old, to just move, and he's like, okay, we're going to do it this way. This is how, this is the right way. This is the smart way. And we're all constantly like, no, 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 I want it this way. And we miss out so often on the amazing things that God has for us, simply because we're not patient. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. And we, and we just have to wait. And God has something amazing in store for us, which we're going to see in the next scripture, if we will just learn to be patient. And I'm not going to pretend like patience is easy. Patience is tough. Patience is hard. This, hearing this 70 years, hearing that trees are going to take 30 years, that stuff can be hard. And, and when we have a legit need right in front of us, when we have something that we feel like is very, very difficult, waiting on God just does not feel awesome. It's tough. But it is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. And the point that we will get to is that we just have to learn to trust him, don't we? We just have to learn to put our faith in him. That's not my timing, it's his timing. And I'm going to release it and let it go. But then we continue on. Chapter 29, verse 11. He says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, after he tells them that, that they've got to wait 70 years, he says, but, but don't worry, there is a hope and there is a future and there is something amazing coming. Church, how many people know that we have the hope of eternity? Like that we have that expectation that we get to be patient, of course, here on this earth, but we have so much, something so grand that comes before us because of the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, something that we get to look forward to as a, as a confident expectation. Don't miss the here and now. That's what we, we established earlier. But know that there is a hope and that there is a future for us. And that in that eternity, we get to experience real peace, real love, real hope, real joy. That's, that's unbelievable. It's way beyond anything we've ever experienced before. And we get to do that, but we have to be patient. And it is through faith and patience that we you get to inherit those promises. And so it's interesting that at the beginning of this, he tells them to kind of settle down. But then he tells them that there is a hope and a future, which I think is really, really neat for me because I always think to myself that contentment and anticipation or, or you know, looking to the future, like they don't seem to, to work together. Like I have one or the other. 
And in this, basically, there is a yes and, right? Be where you are, but also know there's something awesome in the future, which is so powerful if we can get those two things together. Christmas is not here yet, 23 days away. So we have a lot of work to do, and we get to do it here and now, but we get to enjoy it as well when it shows up, and it's something to look forward to. I think that's what we have, too, in our hope of eternity. I can do anything for a certain amount of time, right? Because I have a hope or an expectation, confident one, of something that is happening in the future. And so those two things can work together. Just because we are content doesn't mean we don't have anticipation. Doesn't mean that there's not a little bit of ambition or excitement about the future. We can have both of those things. So how do we get this? Let's, let's talk, let's read on, because I love it. Right after that verse, in verse 12, he says, Then you will call on me, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what he says right there. He has four things. Call, come, pray, and seek. Like this seems to be God's instructions throughout the scripture because we often miss it. And it's amazing when we're talking about the Israelite people because they did the same thing over and over and over again. God prospered them, then they forgot God. Then they find him again, he prospers them, they forget him. And, and they go through these like waves up and down. And church, I think that we can do the exact same thing. We can go through these ways where it's like we're, we're doing great and we forget about God. And, and we have this right here. Come, call, come, pray, and seek. And I think those are, those are very, very powerful things for us to remember. I had a great conversation with my oldest son um, this week as we were sitting down talking and he was going through, we were going through uh, some difficult things and he looks at me and he goes, you know, Dad, I, what does God want from me? What does God want me to do? And what he wants is he wants this grand picture of what the end of, of his life is, is going to be like. And he wants, you know, this, this big thing laid out in front of him. And I told him, I, I don't specifically know, but I, I really know two things. One is God never gives us that big picture. He usually only gives us the next step. And he, and he doesn't, he doesn't very often, if he does it all, Give us the step after that before we take the next one. And, and that's just typically how things work. And so he looks at me and goes, well, Dad, what, what's the first step? You know, what's not the next step? What's just the first step? And I said, the first step, I think, is the easiest one. It, it, it's the one that we see throughout the Scripture. Seek the kingdom first, and all these things will be added unto you. That's what it says in Matthew. And here, it's call, it's come, it's pray, it's seek. What you need to do with your first step is you need to set off with this desire that I just want to know God. I just want to know God. And I'm going to go to the places where I believe God is, where I can hear about him, where I can talk about him, where we can study together. I'm going to go there. And it's amazing to me how often when that becomes our heart, how this next step just kind of becomes illuminated for us especially people that want to get involved in ministry in some way or have a passion for something. It's just amazing how it's like we start seeking God and then boom, there it is. I remember right out of high school, I was seeking a spouse, a wife. And, and that was, I mean, that was just it, right? I was like, I want to get married, I want to have kids. That was my goal. 
And I remember the day that my heart changed, that I said, you know what, God, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to focus on you. Was the day I had some friends set me up on a date with this gorgeous woman, you know, young lady at the time, gorgeous woman now, um, that I ended up marrying. And it's just amazing how that works out when we have that desire that things open up for us. Because when we're chasing other things, God just is like, nope, nope, nope. You need to be chasing me. And then certain things open up. And so he says this right here. Call, come, pray, seek, and you will find me. That's the promise. And, and it's valuable. Something that we have. And then he finishes with verse 14, which I love. It says here in verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. See, he, he gives them the, 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 the thing that the, he's going to do. God's promise. Here it is. I'm going to do this for you. Seek me and, and move forward, and then I will do this. I think it's amazing that we have this because... So often, church, and I, and I believe this, when, when I read this, I think to myself, and when we're talking about that big picture, why doesn't God give us that big picture? I think because it would be completely overwhelming to us, and we would sit down and do nothing. Why does God just give us the next step? I, I think it's because our lives would be overwhelming. I'm telling you right now, and I, and I just was sharing this with my wife this week, that my schedule uh, right now in my life is just it's crazy. You know, I coach a couple of teams. I have five children who are in all kinds of different things. And of course, me, myself, we, we work and we do things around here, so my schedule is crazy. And, and I told her, because I believe this, that if, if I had my schedule and I was my 18-year-old self, I would be laying like dead on Clinton Street somewhere, right? Because you grow into things, don't you? You develop into things. It doesn't just happen overnight. I know this when my kids were small. Like I would tell them to go in and, and clean their room. And they would go in and clean their room, and, and I mean, they wouldn't do anything. They would just sit down, and they would come back, and they would say, Dad, it's just, I mean, it's just too much. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I mean, you could do anything, and it would be cleaner than it is now, right? It's repulsive in there. But it works so much better with those kids, just if you give them one thing. All right, we're going to start with pick up the trash. I want you to go in, and I want you to pick up the trash. So they would go in, and they would pick up the trash. They would throw it away. Okay, what's next? All right, go in and get your clothes and put them in the clothes basket. They'd go in and get their clothes and put them in the clothes basket. What's next? And before long, the room was clean, right? Because that's what you have to give children. Well, in our lives, it's the same way, right? We just have to give ourselves simple steps. And that's what God does. I see it in the New Testament as well. In Acts, when they're having this argument, they're having this argument over where they want the Gentiles to fulfill all the law that the Jews had to fulfill. And, and so then they come together and, and Peter says, you know what? We can't make this hard on these guys. Let's make it easy on them. Let's give them four things to do. Four things. And, and I think so much of it's like that. It's because we need, we need it simple. We need the first step. And what is the first step? Come, pray, seek, call. Psalms 37, 4 through 6. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. What is this? He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. 
You see, what do we have to do? It says here, take the light in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And we have all of these promises that we have. We have a hope. We have a future. He will do these things for us. My last verse before Sean comes out, something that I want to read because it's in the New Testament and it talks about this as well, for us. In this scripture, of course, we are Gentiles. Everybody that's a non-Jew um, is a Gentile in the scripture. So in Romans 15, 8 through 13, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with this people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, what do I want us to do? I want us to realize that today is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice today. I will rejoice tomorrow. I will rejoice the next day. I will have hope for the future. Why? Because my trust is not in myself. My trust is in him. And I have an, a confident expectation that what he says he will do, he will do. That I have an eternity and that I have a hope because Jesus came 2,000 years ago on a glorious night so that he could be a king and rule over the world. It's not the way they thought and it rarely is the way we think, but our trust is in him and not in ourselves during this holiday season. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We just ask that you will lead us in everything during this season. Like, Lord, we wouldn't get distracted and that we wouldn't forget about you, but that we would look to you, the author, the finisher of our faith, knowing that you're not done with us, with a hope that we have, a confident expectation in your promises. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Unexpected hope. The people thought hope was going to come in a different way than it actually came. Hope came in a baby, a baby by the name of Jesus. Maybe you've expected hope to come to you in different ways. Maybe you thought, if I got the certain raise, maybe you thought to yourself, if I just do this, or if they would just come back home, or whatever the case may be, maybe you expected hope to come one way. I promise you this. Hope is only found in Jesus and through Jesus. He is our salvation. He is the only one that can save. It's not anything you can do. It's only what he can do. And, and just like thousands of years ago, where they expected hope to come in some new king, a new king was born. That king was Jesus. And so we have something that we can definitely look forward to and that we have our hope in, and our hope is in Jesus. So we encourage you today, and I hope you understand this, that like that, maybe you expected hope to come in all these different ways, but it's only found through Jesus. Let's stand together. Prayer team, if you could come forward at this time. Church, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads.
if you're in this room today and you've expected hope to come to you in some different way, maybe you thought it was going to come through a job or you thought it was going to come through graduating high school or college or you thought it was going to come in a marriage, but you've come to realize that you're still missing something. And you realize that the something you're missing is Jesus and you want to surrender your life to him today. We want to give you an opportunity to accept him and to give him your life. If you say tonight or today that you need Jesus, that you want to surrender your life over to Jesus, I'd like you to lift your hand and I want to pray with you. Anybody in the room? Maybe you're in the room today and you say, Sean, I've accepted Jesus before, but I put my hope in different things and I've fallen away and I need to re-surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you today, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. I didn't see any hands there. Church, I want to pray with you. And, and I want to encourage you this Christmas season, this holiday season, to put your hope in Jesus too. To remember that a, that a, a baby was born at, that came to bring hope to you and to your family. Let me pray for you, church. God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I pray for our friends and family who don't maybe know you. God, may they come to find you this holiday season, put their trust in you. Lord, I pray that you, rem that you remind us that you are the hope. That you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, if you were hope thousands of years ago, you're still hope today. We believe that and stand on it, God. We thank you so much for what you're going to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, church, I want to real quick give you a few things. Out, in the, out in the, at the Welcome Center, we have these invites for the Christmas drama, which is happening in just two weeks, guys, two weeks away. So we want to make sure that you go out. We flood Northwest Ohio with these invites. Go out to the Welcome Center, grab 20, 50, 30, whatever it is, whatever amount you say you want to take, pass them out to your friends, your family. Also, the Advent devotional is we have more out at the Welcome Center. We just made some more up. And then also we have it online at fccenter.net. Thank you guys for coming today. Turn around and uh, wish somebody a happy holidays. Have a great day.